DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Joseph Pierce, who is a senior editor at the Augustan Institute in Denver, Colorado. He's also the editor of the St. Austin Review and the author of biographies of Shakespeare, Oscar Wilde, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and other Christian literary figures. With Joseph Pierce, we go inside the pages of Heroes of the Catholic Reformation, Saints Who Renewed the Church, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure, Chris, always a pleasure. I absolutely love Heroes of the Catholic Reformation, Saints Who Renewed the Church. For a multiplicity of reasons, leave it to you, Joseph. It's not your, oh, can I say this? Uh, Your typical, you know, here's the life of a saint. Okay, next, here's the life of a saint. I mean, you give us a big, global, wonderful picture of a, a period in time that touches us today. Well, thank you. That was certainly my my vision of the book. And when I was when I was commissioned to write it, I the thing I wanted to avoid was just uh, another run of the mill, you know, hagiographical lives of the saints. I mean, uh, thanks be to God, they're out there, and the more the merrier. But I didn't want to just add to that that long and and lengthening list. I wanted to do something a little bit different, something which would uh, bring my own specific gifts to to the table, so to speak. And so that that was what what I d- I've done and. Um, it's certainly gratifying to know that that, that you've uh, understood that. I think even in that very first section, you talked to us about the importance of understanding between uh, what is a hero and what is holiness. And I, I think that particularly in our culture today, we lift up something other than virtue and exalt it and, and in a very real way worship it, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the very the word celebrity, obviously one who is celebrated. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, a lot of our iconic uh, secular heroes today are anything but virtuous and people being held up for fame uh, and for admiration for, for activities and actions that are very far from, from the life of virtue. So I did want to begin the book by saying, why is this called Heroes of the Catholic Reformation. Again, you know, it's it's for me. Uh, we need to understand as Christians that the only true heroism is holiness, uh, and that also on the level of faith and reason, the only true sanity is sanctity. So I wanted to, if you like, establish that or those criteria at the very outset, so that the terminology that we use when we talk about saints as being heroes, we understand understand clearly in our head of what what we're referring to. Terminology is extraordinarily important, and I am so glad that you reclaimed our understanding of what Reformation means. Yes, that was the other thing. I mean, you know, normally if you just hear the the, the, the word the Reformation, everybody thinks of the Protestant Reformation under the leadership of Luther and then subsequently Calvin. Whereas in actual fact, to understand what was happening in Christendom and in Europe during the 16th century, we have to see that there were three reformations going on, only one of which was actually a genuine reformation of Christendom, which was the Catholic Reformation. There were the, the, the other two reformations was the Protestant Reformation, which should be called with that adjective, Protestant, because it was something very distinct, but not only from the Catholic Reformation, 
but also from the English Reformation, because the Reformation in England was a profoundly secular and ultimately secularist Reformation, and in that sense has much more perhaps in common with our experience in the modern world than the Protestant Reformation, because Protestantism was a theological split from the church, and Protestantism since then has largely exploded in the sense of, you know, the one Lutheran church becoming now tens of thousands of tiny sects all disagreeing with each other. So ultimately, I think as time goes on, we're seeing Protestantism being more and more marginalized um, and perhaps less and less important, but secularism is on the rise. So I did want to address not merely the Catholic Church's response to the Protestant Reformation, but also her response to the secularist Reformation in England. Clarity is key, I think, and especially when it comes to our verbiage, because we can even see it in today's culture that what was once denoted as a term that stood out, you know, I could think of a multiplicity of them, but they do get claimed to try to, to make it smell better. So, you know, for example, the English Reformation, by claiming that term when it really truly wasn't the theological type of Reformation, it sanitizes it in their mind. Absolutely. I mean, let's not beat about the bush here, that the English so-called Reformation was based on upon the greed, the rapaciousness, the and the lust of King Henry VIII. Uh, in other words, it was purely motivated by secularism. It was basically successful because Henry VIII uh, stole the wealth, uh, the land and the wealth of the Catholic Church and then handed it out to those who would support him. So again, the the, the most greedy and power-hungry Machiavellian of, of the people of England backed the king because they were getting rich by doing so. So it was very much a, a, a secularist uh, uprising uh, against the church. A revolution would be a better a word, a, a plutocratic revolution, a revolution by the rich uh, against, against the saints, basically, if you want to put it that way. Um, and we do need to know that. And of course, of course, it is sanitized later by the word reformation being added. And of course, by all the, the martyrdoms of, of, of Catholic priests and laity that followed in the 150 years from the 1530s to the 1680s are basically airbrushed out of history as part of this sanitization process. There are two that you bring forward that are such strong examples of those who stood and said, stop world, take a look. Do you see what's happening? And when, when they did that, it, is, it, it got them killed. Yes. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's always, uh, I wrote uh, a book called Through Shakespeare's Eyes uh, once and uh, spoke at some length, several chapters about the, uh, the play King Lear. Uh, and uh, it's Cordelia who has the courage in King Lear to refuse to, um, to play the, the king's secular game. Uh, and she is uh, exiled for her for her uh, pains. And her two sisters basically pay lip service to the king, even though they don't love the king at all. Uh, that's Goneril and Regan. And I, I, do, I said in that book, there are always more Gonerals and Regans than there are Cordelias. In other words, there's always more people who will serve the zeitgeist, serve the spirit of the age, and serve their own self-interest, particularly when politics uh, becomes uh, dangerous for those who want to be selfless instead of selfish. And I think we see in, 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 the, in uh, St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, who are the subject of the early chapters of, of, of my book, uh, those who, are, who, who stood uh, courageously beside uh, the faith, um, 
like Cordelia in King Lear and suffered the same sort of persecution, although in their case it was even worse. They didn't really suffer exile, they were executed. Those two particularly, John Fisher, a priest, Thomas More, a layman. You know, yeah. it, we, can, we can't escape their example, can we? We can't say, oh, well, they're not like us. They Very much, in a very real way, they are us. Yeah, they, they basically, in every generation, we are all being asked, you know, to, to render unto Caesar the things that are God's. Um, and many of us do that. We, we, we want to be seen to be, um, you know, fitting into to our, the secular culture around us. We don't want to be the odd one out. We, we, you know, we, we pay lip service to what's expected us, of us uh, at work, in the, in, the, in the workplace and, and in the wider culture. And, and really it t- takes courage to, to stand up against the secularism with, uh, uh, if you like, a, a defiant Catholic faith. And we need to remember that the church on earth is the church militant, the church at war with the devil and, and, and the prince of darkness and his secular dominion. Uh, so that 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 will be the example we see in St. Thomas More, as 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 you, as you rightly point out, the layman, and St. John Fisher, the priest, is what both clergy and laity are called to in every age, which is to have the courage of our convictions and to stand up against the zeitgeist when the zeitgeist is standing up against the church. Those two in particular are so compelling because you can almost ask yourself, who is the John Fisher today? Who is that bishop today? Who is that Thomas More? Who is that politician or, or person in, in the field of law who is willing to stand up and be killed, literally? Yeah, ultimately, certainly to lay down their lives for their friends, um, uh, lay down their lives uh, for, 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 for friends and for enemies is the very definition of love given to us by Jesus Christ. And uh, if we're not willing to lay down our lives for our friends and enemies, we're not truly loving them. We see in St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, those who are true lovers in that full uh, Jesus-oriented understanding of the word. Again, it's so important to understand what Reformation is. And a lot of times we look at that, well, maybe we don't even look at the Catholic Reformation. I mean, we don't look at it as something that organically was coming from the heart of the church and in response to very good questions that were coming forward. So we don't understand who those heroes are. I am so glad you brought up Pius V. No one. I bet you if you ask your average cat, who is Pius V? They they be totally, unfortunately, in many cases, clueless. Is that too harsh? yeah, no, you're not being harsh. You're being, unfortunately, you're being very accurate. Uh, you know, that basically, that, that except for those Catholics who have made a study of 16th century Europe, St. Pius V will be largely unknown. And it is a tragedy because he was a giant. And you talked about St. John Fisher being, if you like, a, a model for what a good priest and bishop should be. And and St. Thomas More being a model of what a good layman should be, but when we see in St. Pius V a model of what a good pope should be, uh, you know, one who leads the church, first of all by example, by living a holy and uh, austere life, um, but also having the courage to confront the various forces that are at war with the church, and, and that's the, so he, he had the courage to stand up to the secularism of, of Queen Elizabeth I, to the heresy of the Protestant Reformation, and to the military threat of Islam in the Ottoman Empire. And on all those three fronts, he, he fought with, with great courage. 
uh, a spiritual courage, a prayerful courage, calling upon people to to pray the rosary to uh, to uh, to help in the victory of uh, of Christendom against uh, Islamic uh, military aggression. Um, so a life of prayer, but also a life very much of uh, of putting uh, his faith into practice and defending the church, being a true fidei defensor, a true defender of the faith against her, the multiplicity of, of enemies on all sides that were arraigned against her uh, during his pontificate. Yeah, there's uh, also the figure of Charles Borromeo. Or I wonder if we truly appreciate that, that need for that spiritual connection. Again, you know, Pius V had that, a great devotion to Our Lady and to prayer. But also a Borromeo, he too, brilliant mind, but a tremendous heart. Absolutely, and, and, and inheriting, you know, a corrupt, a, a corrupt uh, diocese. He, he traveled around you know, on a horse. We have to think about this as well. You know, he had a very large diocese. That his, 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 his diocese was Milan, but he went, it stretched right up into the mountains of, of what is basically bordering upon what, what is now Switzerland. Um, and, you know, and, and, and came across parishes where uh, the, there, there'd been no real practice of, of the faith where uh, priests were living uh, scandalous lifestyles. He even found uh, uh, evidence of consecrated hosts uh, molding in, 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 in chalices. Um, you know, things that are horrific. Um, uh, and, and so he, he inherited this decay, this decadence, um, and yet through his own um, courage, his own faith, his own tirelessness, um, uh, his own example, renewed that diocese and and so that the churches that were half empty were now once again burgeoning and full um and uh, the, the the faith renewed uh reinvigorated and it does really show us what one holy and courageous and tireless man can do to re-energize the church yeah, the, that re-energizing the church, again, to go back, of course, he's in Milan in, in Italy, uh, Pius V in Rome as the Pope. He also, I, I, I didn't want to miss this, Pius V is responsible for g- giving that unity and structure of the universal prayer of the church in the liturgy. That was really huge, too. Yes, I mean, basically, the, 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 the situation was uh, what we might call liturgical anarchy, where um, there were all sorts of liturgical abuses going on throughout the church, um, uh, which meant it's even doubtful in, in, in cases whether the mass was being celebrated at all. And uh, part of uh, St. Pius V's reform was to, uh, to, to have a one universal Catholic liturgy so uh, that we could be sure that uh, the miracle of the mass is, is happening at all times in all churches, throughout the majesty and magisterium of the church. And uh, for that, absolutely, uh, to, to, uh, you know, and this is something, we, let's, let's not beat about the bush here, this is something we've seen in recent years uh, in the Catholic Church where um, uh, priests have, have abused the liturgy and, and through their own ad lib and uh, their own, their own adding their own personal uh, follies to, to the liturgy have, have been abusing the liturgy. and. Uh, We've seen recent popes doing their best to, to basically emulate the example, the noble example of uh, St. Pius V to ensure uh, a unity and conformity in, in the way that the, the, the majesty of the Mass is celebrated. 
Well, God is a God of order. All you have to do is look around the universe to see that, or even going down to the the aspects of uh, the minute atom and DNA. I mean, he's an ordered, structured God. And when you begin to see order fall apart, that's when uh, literally chaos occurs, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, when, wherever you see chaos and anarchy, you know, you, you know that the Prince of Lies is at work. Mm. Um, the, the, the Catholic Church has always insisted on the connection between fides et ratio, between faith and reason, that we live in a rational cosmos because it was created by a rational God, uh, and therefore we expect to see order, we expect to see hierarchy, uh, we, 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 ex we expect to see conformity to truth and conformity to reason. Um, and uh, where we don't see that, we, we, we know that we're, we're experiencing a, a decadence, a decay, away from uh, away from that truth and that that indicates quite frankly and to be honest about it speaking in terms of the supernatural it indicates the presence of the devil let's talk about that unbelievable country of spain during this particular time this opportunity for a, a spiritual renewal that also occurred within the church and because they did have i mean quite honestly an emperor they um what was it philip that allowed it to flourish. So you you had these wonderful names that you bring forward, Ignatius of Loyola, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross. I mean, those are heroes, wow. Yeah, uh, and Francis Xavier, the other great Jesuit, uh, mm. so uh, covered, it, covered in the book. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, we look at, one of the good things about history is it liberates us from, from, from the belief that we live in the worst of times because uh, we do live in bad times, but the more you understand history, the you, you, more you understand it is, as Tolkien said, the long defeat with only occasional glimpses of final victory. And now in the Europe that we're talking about in the 16th century, you know, you, the reason that, that Islam is, is such a threat is because that Christianity is divided. Uh, so in, in England, rising in power, but it's under a secularist ruler. Um, the German princes have, have, have used the Protestant Reformation as a cynical excuse to grab power for themselves and to war against the Holy Roman Emperor. France is growing as a, as a, as a political force and is also basically allied with Islam against, uh, against uh, the Holy Roman Empire. So you have a divided Europe. And, uh, and again, if you lived at the time, you think everything's going to fall apart. But God always provides um, and uh, always provides the moment. And so we do see also in the 16th century the rise of Spain, uh, the golden age of Spain uh, and rulers in Spain that were openly defending the Catholic Church and facilitating renewal. And that leads, amongst other things, of course, to to uh, great Spanish Catholic saints such as the founders of the Jesuits and, and the reformers of the, the Carmelite order, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. And none of this was easy for them. I mean, again, this is a time of reform and renewal. It's a constant thing that happens within the body. You just read the Acts of the Apostles and you see the struggles within the context of that, of that very young church. Yeah, and, and, and also decay and disorder within the church. Let's not forget that St. John of the Cross was imprisoned brutally mm -hmm. in, 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 in a really sordid, solitary confinement uh, by, by, uh, by actually a religious order, by, by, the, by, the, by the unreformed Carmelites, if you like, the, the liberal and liberalized Carmelites that had lost the vision of, 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 of what a true religious order should be. And, and he's imprisoned by them. So, you know, there, there's this chaos going on. And yet the great saints, the great reformers bring order from that chaos by the grace of God. 
I think in going back again to England, because I think that's the, the the conflicts were truly unfortunate in many cases, sometimes even horrific, but none quite as torturously horrific as what happened to the English martyrs. I mean, I no, we need to know that that period in history, don't we? Absolutely, which is why you know I have such a deep devotion to them. I'm, I'm speaking for my office, and I have two separate. Uh, framed uh, icons of the English martyrs uh, on on my wall. I have a, a painting I commissioned from Robert Southall downstairs. Mm. Um, I have a great devotion to the English martyrs, and uh, uh, I, th- I think that the more that, that we as Catholics understand, venerate, and pray to them, the, the more that we will actually see benefits in our own age. Because these men and women were incredibly uh, courageous, and and not only lived uh, they. So, for instance, give it a couple of examples that I mentioned in my books, and Edmund Campion mm-hmm. uh, and St. Robert Southall. These men came back to England knowing that when they were caught, and knowing, first of all, it's likely they would be caught sooner or later, they knew it was just a matter of time, uh, that when they were caught, they would face hideous torture, and then one of the most slow and gruesome ways of being put to death that you can imagine being hanged, drawn, and quartered. So the courage involved... Um, in these men coming back and preaching uh, uh, as as well and beautifully as they did, um, and then their courage under torture uh, up to the up to the moment of death, the courage of the laity in supporting them and in harboring them and and in, in keeping them hidden from the authorities. And I think perhaps in this case of of, of the wonderful Saint Margaret Clitheroe, mm. who was crushed to death. Um, uh, as punishment for harboring Catholic priests, refusing to give their whereabouts away, um, believed to be pregnant at the time she was crushed to death, and certainly the mother of young children. Um, you know, these people deserve to be household names, at least in Catholic households. Uh, and I think we talk about, you know, the neglect of, of, of knowing uh, holy popes such as St. Pius V, but we really do need to, to spread the good news of these English martyrs to our Catholic brothers and sisters around the world. I think they have so much to uh, witness in that in that great cloud of witnesses, especially to our American culture. And I think that you know history is written by the winners. Okay, so Elizabeth has her hit history written, and we watch her on uh, whether television or in movies, like is some icon of modern feminism. You know, just she's just awesome. But she really was. Horrifically gruesome. There's uh, the where where's the maternal nurture in Elizabeth I? Well, there's none. I mean, basically, she's a secular tyrant, and you know, and and you are, you are correct that the Whig historians distorted the history, and we took it took a, a great historian such as Hilaire Belloc uh, and Lingard, Father Lingard, and others to actually start to expose that the lie, the fact that uh, that uh, the the gruesome brutality of that secular secularist regime against the Catholic Church is putting to death of, of, of men and women uh, just for, for, for uh, having the uh, the courage to witness to the faith of the of, of, of England that since since the time of the Romans um, since before England was even called England uh, that putting those people to death uh, that that is coming out and and it's if you see it in various places uh, in the, uh, the latest uh, TV uh, drama on the life of Shakespeare. Will has, you know, has uh, um, the the Catholics as being hunted down, and so I think truth truth will out. Uh, just it can be smothered for a time, 
Uh, I hope that my book in its own small way will, 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 will be part of that process of, of enlightening uh, and illumining the world um, to, uh, to the truth of history and to the true, true, true heroism of the saints of history that uh, the secular historians have sought to airbrush out. And I'm so grateful just even for the, this brief conversation or being able to undertake over this really incredible uh, history that you have the book, Heroes of the Catholic Reformation, Saints Who Renewed the Church, because in it, I mean, anybody that's listening out there, get this book because it will give you an even deeper, richer, can we say, a steeping, like a tea bag into the lives and into this period in time. Uh, you'll only be richer for it, and particularly because it's written by you, Joseph. I, I, I can't uh, think of any of your books that I haven't learned and grew more, not only as a Catholic, but it just as a thinking person. So, it, it, you know, to have a Joseph Pierce book out there, it's just I, everybody race out and get it. Well, thank you, Chris. I mean, over the years, uh, you and I have had many interviews, and you've always been someone who's understood what I do, and it's always very gratifying for an author to know there are people out there that understand and appreciate what, what, what one's trying to do. And then in, people such as yourself, they're in a position, thanks be to God, to disseminate that, that knowledge to other people. So I'm very grateful for what you've done, obviously not just in this interview, but over the many years that we've had the, uh, the joy and pleasure of knowing each other. Old Thunder is still one of my all-time favorites. Any of the, the, the Shakespeare books, those in themselves, which I think is an awesome introduction to this particular period as well. Yes, I mean, and that was why I was asked to write the book uh, for our Sunday Visitor, because of the work I'd done in the 16th century in my research for Shakespeare, and I, we haven't discussed it in, in this interview, but there's the Shakespearean dimension in my new book, Heroes of the Catholic Church, because... Uh, Shakespeare was involved in the in a play about St Thomas More, and I and I discussed that he he was uh, could might well have known St Edmund Campion, and I discussed that, and almost definitely did know St Robert Subtle, and I discussed that. So and so there's an element of the Shakespearean in, in the new book as well, because you know my my own love for the 16th century was really born out of my love for Shakespeare. I wish we had more time. Oh, boy, do I wish we had more time. But in, in closing on this particular conversation, any final thoughts, Joseph? No, only that um, I, I hope that the new book will, uh, I hope people do buy it, not least because I do think that we as, as Catholics uh, in the, the 21st century need to understand uh, exactly what happened during the period of the 16th century and what was called the Reformation and to know how in actual fact that the the errors of Luther and the tyranny of Henry VIII led to a golden age in, in, in the Catholic Church. And really, though, the 16th century, the saints that we talk about there are some of the some of the greatest saints in the history of the church. There was a spirit of renewal, the Council of Trent, which uh, a very, very important, crucial council, which it gave its spirit to the next 500 years. So, you know, it was a golden age. And I hope that if, if people go out and buy my book and, and, and see to what extent that the, uh, the so-called Reformation, the Catholic Reformation, is what we should really be celebrating, which was a golden age for the Catholic Church. Joseph, I, again, I cannot wait to have another conversation with you very soon. But in the meantime, thank you so much. My pleasure, Chris. Here's to next time. With Joseph Pierce, we've gone inside the pages of Heroes of the Catholic Reformation, Saints Who Renewed the Church. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to alwaysfee.com. 
the website for its publisher, Our Sunday Visitor, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.